Father, thank you for sending the greatest gift of all, your son. Thank you for the joy of heaven that came and has invaded so many hearts. The invitation to join the celebration in the very halls of heaven through your son, Jesus. Uh, this morning, would you keep our hearts from the distractions that the thing that we've turned Christmas into has made? Would you allow us to have our hearts fixate on the Savior, Jesus? And would our joy and our peace be fully found in him? We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Back in March of 2019... Emperor Naruhito of Japan officially ascended to what's referred to as the Chrysanthemum Throne. That means he became the unquestioned ruler of the nation of Japan. That's a very powerful position for anyone to have. And as is often the case of people with power on their big day, they make sure that that power is shown by who is around them. There was a very exclusive list of people allowed in the room, 26 in total high-level officials, attendants, uh, special Shinto holy men, 26 in all. Notably absent was the emperor's wife. I can't imagine what dinner must have been like the next few weeks. Yikes. Now, the power, the powerful in this world, they know the truth that if you're somebody, you don't just let anybody around you on your big day. That there's a way of magnifying your importance by only letting other important people surround you. So by association, you look even better. So it is for the way the world chases after power. But how different is the way our text this morning presents the most powerful person of all, the most important person of all, Jesus, King of heaven and earth. Uh, Jesus isn't out looking to get a list of the beautiful and connected around him so people think more of him. No, in fact, he goes and finds a bunch of nobodies, average Joes to come and share in the joy that he brings from heaven. Uh, as we see this unfold before us this morning, we'll see there's an invitation to us as well, that no matter who we are, that we can join in heaven's joy because Jesus has come. Uh, there's three parts to the narrative that will unfold before us. Uh, the first part in eight through 10, we'll see some average Joes, some shepherds. And then in verses 11 through 14, we'll see those average Joes experience the joy of heaven. And then finally in 15 through the end of the passage in 21, we'll see them join in the joy of heaven by finding Jesus. And in all of this, we will see that because Jesus has come, we can join in the celebration in heaven itself. Uh, let's begin in that first section about those average Joes, a bunch of shepherds. Now, this passage keys off of the one that we preached last Sunday that Lucas preached, uh, the beginning of chapter 2, which saw Jesus born exactly according to how God had predicted it would happen. Born in the exact insignificant city to uh, an unsuspecting, uh, unmarried, single mother, Mary, and to Joseph, their soon-to-be husband. We saw that happen in a way that no one would expect the most important person in the world to arrive. 
Jesus ended up being born in the stables of an inn and placed into a feeding bowl as a crib. Well, the passage picks it right up after that. Simultaneously, as this is going on, we're brought to another scene. And it seems like a rather unremarkable night for a group of unremarkable men doing a frankly unremarkable job. Uh, We're told there's a group of shepherds out in the middle of a field hanging out with their flocks. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have a high view of shepherds. That's a good thing. Uh, Moses was a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd. God himself describes himself as shepherd over the flock of his people. And yet in the first century, shepherds, well, they were honest, hard workers that really didn't have much esteem in society. Uh, They're a bit like the types of jobs that show up on that TV show that used to be on called Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Uh, You know that one? He goes around and there's all these essential workers doing things, working on the insides of machines or laying down pipes or paving roads, doing hard labor. And at at the end of the show, after showing them doing their thing, he always said, it's a dirty job, but someone's gotta do it. Uh, Shepherds were a bit like that. Uh, They had a a profession that no one would aspire to and no one really thought much of them. And yet on this, to this unremarkable group of men doing an unremarkable job on an unremarkable night, a most remarkable thing happened. Verse nine, an angel of the Lord appears to them. Now this is the third angelic visitation in Luke's gospel and this one comes with a bit of shock and awe to it. Uh, The angel shows up out of nowhere and coming with him, we're told the glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, That's referring to God's, uh, the Shekinah glory, the presence cloud that used to inhabit the temple to show God's people that he lived there amongst them. Now it's enveloping this group of average Joe shepherds in the middle of nowhere. And what's the result of this? Well, we're told, and they were filled with great fear. As is often the case, they are peeling themselves off the floor when they come into the presence of a divine creature. These workmen are shaken in their boots. They think they're about to die as an angel shows up. Well, in verse 10, we see that they actually don't have anything to fear, The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel has good news for them. In fact, it's so good news, it's the same word that we use for gospel, which means good news proclaimed. It is a gospeled news for them, something that will turn their hearts to joy in but a moment. In fact, not just for them, for for all the people, average Joes of all types, God has good news for them. Now, before we move on to exactly what that good news is, we just need to stop and pause and realize how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdoms of the world. Now, maybe you're here this morning and holidays are a tough time for you because you feel, frankly, left out and forgotten by many. Uh, Many of us are not especially socially graceful, or we feel like we are just on the outside of things for one reason or another. You get the message from society that unless you're somebody, you're a nobody. And yet it's not that way in the kingdom of God. No, God is in the business of finding a bunch of nobodies. 
and inviting them into the greatest, most honorable, and most majestic of all parties, to giving them exclusive access to the very halls of heaven, to his very throne room, and calling them beloved sons and daughters. Uh, Maybe this Christmas you need to remind yourself that the coming of Jesus means God hasn't forgotten about you. Even if no one else thinks much of you, God has thought of you. And he sent his son so that you can be in relationship with him. Uh, This group of average Joes experienced something they never could have imagined or expected. Uh, The God of heaven sending them a direct message. And as we'll find, it turns out that message is a glorious one. An invitation to the very joy of heaven. That's the second section, verses 11 through 14. We see this group of average Joes experience the joy of heaven. The angel finally gets to what it is that will produce this great joy for them. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why is there this heavenly joy happening? Why is it that this good news has come to them? Well, it's because of a baby being born. Uh, It's certainly worth celebrating every single baby that is born. Every baby that is conceived is a remarkable gift from God. The the image of God uh, with intrinsic value given for our encouragement and to be be held up in high esteem, we we should not take lightly the miracle of babies entering this world. And yet, there's something more going on here than just any old baby being born. This baby is has three special titles attached to him, which explain why his coming into the world is such good news. Uh, First, he will be Savior. Now, God himself is called Savior in the Old Testament frequently. It means to, to rescue. God saved his people out of the bondage of Egypt. He saved his people from uh, threatening armies. He saves them from calamities of all sorts. Well, this child that is born will be the Savior. And indeed, we'll find out that he will come to rescue God's people by saving them from their sins. Uh, The second title is he is Christ. Uh, One of the most common misunderstandings about Jesus is that Christ is, people think that Christ is his last name. First name Jesus, last name Christ. But Christ is actually a title. It is a translation of the Hebrew term Messiah, which is, means an anointed one, someone specially chosen by God. And at, by this point, people understood it to mean God's special king that would come and bring the fortunes of God's people so that they are back on top and God's good reign could be seen on earth again. Jesus is the Christ sent from heaven to come and rule over heaven and earth. And third, he is the Lord. In your Old Testament, you'll see that term, the Lord, used of God as a name for his covenant name, Yahweh, the Lord. Now, there are other places in the New Testament you'll find the Lord used, or the Lord uses a title for just an earthly official. But here, Luke is beginning what will one day be teased out into the confession in Acts that Jesus is Lord. Uh, That great confession of faith that declares that Jesus is not just another teacher, he's not just another ruler, 
No, he is God from heaven in human flesh, come to save us from our sins, and yes, one day to rule over all that is. To confess that Jesus is Lord is to call him King of Kings, the great Prince of Heaven now living amongst us to rule over us. Now that's a lot to take in for a group of average Joe nobodies. And yet that was the message that was given to them by the angel. Uh, I think that they may have struggled to understand and certainly to believe what was being said. But in any case, the angel gives them a way that they can know what he has said will actually be true. A sign. A great sign fitting for a great king. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Oh, it's an unusual thing to walk into a barn and find a baby in a feeding bowl. It's a more unusual thing to have a royal noble in such a lowly estate, much less the very son from heaven, the king of kings, to be so brought so low at the first day of his uh, uh, pilgrimage to this world. And yet this is a preview of just what sort of king Jesus is going to be. He's not going to be the sort of king that tries to surround himself with the powerful and the connected. He won't be the sort of king that has lots of earthly trappings and wealth. No, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't think the shepherds understand, understood the fullness of this at this point. My guess is they probably had tons of questions for the angel. But before they could say anything, we're told in verse 13 that heaven itself erupts in joyful singing. We're told suddenly that around this single angel is now a multitude of angels. God's own personal choir shows up and sings of the, the song of joy from heaven itself. Now, this is the third song that Luke has recorded for us in his gospel so far. It's the shortest by far, only two lines. It could be summed up like this. It's praise to God in heaven and declaring peace to us on earth. Praise to God in heaven, peace to us on earth. Now, you may be familiar to the, uh, with the the song, Angels We Have Heard on High. Uh, we, we sang a little bit of it earlier. Uh, the words of that song are basically this passage. And you know that line that goes, Gloria in excelsis Deo? That, that's just the Latin translation of that line, glory to God in the highest. What we see happening here is God allowing a choir that is usually reserved for that audience of one to break forth and share the joy of heaven with this group of average Joe shepherds. What an odd thing for God to do. And yet, that's precisely the sort of God we serve. Now, the thing that they say is going to happen doesn't happen merely by Jesus being born as a baby. No, these things will happen because Jesus will grow into a man and accomplish the very things God has promised will happen. He will, yes, live a perfect life. He will ultimately die on the cross, murdered by the Romans and the Jews. And then he will rise from the dead to bring eternal life to God's people. In all of this, heaven itself will sing the praises of God's power and his perfect plan, and earth will finally experience the peace of God that has been out of reach since the garden. 
Uh, Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Uh, I wonder, have you been seeking after peace, maybe even in your own heart? There's a lot of religious teachers out there that would love to offer you a way to uh, search after peace. Uh, Many of them will tell you that you need to try and empty your mind, even lose your sense of self. And as you cease to experience consciousness, that's what it is to have peace. But friends, absence of thought, nothingness is not peace. Now, that's nothingness. Peace is something else. Peace is the absence of conflict with right relationship. Everything being exactly the way it's supposed to be. Uh, You'll never find peace by trying to empty yourself. Uh, You'll also never find peace by just trying to improve yourself. Uh, Maybe you struggle with self-esteem. That's a hard thing. But just feeling better about yourself doesn't mean you're at peace. Not in this sense. Now, do you notice what the angels sang? They said, peace will be on earth among those with whom he is pleased. This sort of peace, the peace that lasts, the, the peace that comes from God between us and God, it only comes for someone in a right relationship with him. Now, the Bible tells us how that can happen. See, the reason that our efforts to find this peace fail is because our problem is that we are enemies of God by nature, that each of us has lived life on our own terms, finding ways to justify our behaviors, and in so doing, we've rebelled against the God that made us. The Bible calls that sin, and it tells us the penalty for sin is death, eternal death, conscious torment away from God forever in hell. No amount of trying to be better or self-improvement or prayer could ever change the reality that you are an enemy of God. It is a, a war that you are in and that one day you will lose if you fight it on your own. But the good news is this God that is your enemy has made a way so that you can become his friend. He's made a way for you to be at peace with him. He did that by sending his son Jesus into the world. This very moment that this passage is celebrating. Uh, Jesus was God from heaven coming to live amongst us as a human. Uh, He truly was one of us. He lived the life that we should have lived, a perfect life. And as he grew, he gave that life up willingly. He let himself be killed by the Romans on the cross. Uh, That wasn't just a miscarriage of justice. It was a sacrifice A substitute being offered so that sinners could have the wrath of God turned away from them and put onto Jesus instead. When Jesus died, God accepted that sacrifice. And then three days later, he came back to life to prove once and for all that you can be forgiven and that he can offer you the peace with God that you would never attain on your own. Now, friend, if you're not a Christian, Know that this is what Christmas is about. It's not just a a season to enjoy being around family and to enjoy decorations. It's about Jesus coming, the Savior, the one that can make you right with God. And yes, to fill your heart with joy, knowing you no longer have to fear God. He's now your friend, not your enemy. If you've never done that, friend, would you receive the greatest of all gifts this Christmas? Would you turn from your sins? Would you repent of them? And would you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and you you won't be disappointed?
you'll find a peace that transcends understanding and a joy that goes on forever will be yours if you come to Jesus. Well, that's a lot for the shepherds to take in. You might think that they would take a moment or two to stew on it, but that's not the way the text unfolds. Uh, After they have this heavenly serenading, we're uh, told there's one last leg to their journey, our third and final section, verses 15 through 21. Some average Joes experience the joy of heaven by finding Jesus, by finding Jesus. Verse 15, the angels went away from them into heaven, and then the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Uh, They didn't wait. They could not wait. They had to see if this was true for themselves. They went, and it doesn't tell us how they found them, but they found the place where Mary and Joseph and, yes, baby Jesus were staying. And then there's that moment where they lay eyes on the little wrapped-up child in a feeding bowl for themselves. And in that moment, something must have clicked as they understood what they had received from God. The words that God had spoken to them were all coming true. And the joy that was spoken of by the angel and sung of by that heavenly choir now invaded their hearts. And as an overflow of that, we see in verse 17, they speak up about what they've experienced. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning them, this child. And then what follows are three different reactions to all these things being fulfilled in that moment, and the shepherds speaking about it. First, the shepherds, their hearts are already overfilling with joy. They speak about it, and the passage ends with them going on their way home, praising and glorifying God just the same way the angels did when they showed up. What a joyful experience that must have been for them. Uh, Second, we're told about a crowd that was around them. Maybe when they were knocking on doors, trying to figure out where to go, people started tagging along. Well, as a result, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at uh, uh, at what the shepherds had told them. They stood with their jaws open in amazement by what they were hearing and seeing. And then third, the reaction of Mary. As is her pattern, Mary off to the side, pondering and wondering and turning over these things that God has done before her eyes. She treasures these things up in her heart. And one day, maybe she gets to put them all together and maybe she tells them to Luke and maybe he writes them down so we get to hear about them. Well, the narrative ends with the shepherds on their way back and then a note of fulfillment. We're told Eight days later, Jesus is circumcised, as any good Jewish boy would be, and they called him Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Exactly the way God said it would happen. Well, what are we to take from this joyful account of shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the crowd and, yes, baby Jesus in a feeding bowl. I think one of the things that many Christians struggle with, maybe even when I challenge you to consider evangelizing this morning, is the thought that I'm not all that useful to God. Sure, I believe he saved me. Sure, I believe what the Bible says is true about that he loves me, but 
You know, there are some people that are so much more gifted than I am. Maybe you have trouble with words. You're not the most eloquent. Or maybe you have trouble with relationships. You're a little socially awkward. Maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with your own appearance. Or maybe you've had bad experiences in the past. For whatever reason, maybe you've come to the conclusion that evangelism is something for those other gifted pastors and evangelists and missionaries. A lot of Christians struggle with feelings of inadequacy. That God could ever really use them. I think the example of the shepherds shows us that God loves to use ordinary, flawed people. The shepherds were not anything special. They weren't something to write home about. They were as plain Jane, average Joe's, everyday man as you could possibly imagine. They didn't have time for an evangelism course. We weren't told that they had any special grasp of scripture. They just heard a word from God and saw it come true in their own life and had the joy of heaven inhabit their heart and couldn't help but speak up about it. Uh, look at the way that this first group of evangelists spreads around the good news that is for all people. Now, brothers and sisters, maybe some of those thoughts you have about yourself, maybe even there's some truth to some of them. But it's not about the messenger. It's about the good news of the message that you carry. And the good news is worth, it's worth the effort. And it's the best news anyone will ever hear in this world. They could be at peace with God. And the very joy of heaven can be theirs if they would just put their trust in Jesus to rescue them from their sins. Whatever you have going on this Christmas, I hope you will draw encouragement and maybe the Lord might use you as the welcome party to a, another round of celebrations. As, as the angels in heaven, heaven celebrate another sinner that comes to know God as not a foe, but a friend through Christ Jesus. Oh, one of the other ways we can think of this is that we are to draw great encouragement every time God does this work. Where we see him fulfilling his word to save sinners. And one of the ways we get to do that is through baptisms. I hope you love baptisms. I really hope you love baptisms because we have three of them for you this morning. Um, every time we have baptisms, we get a reminder that yes, what the angels declared is true. God really is invading hearts amongst us. He is bringing the peace and joy of heaven and saving people from their sins through the Savior, Jesus. As we, we baptize, I, I hope you are paying attention to the physical act, but I hope more than that, you are listening to the stories, individual stories of how God cares for all kinds of people. Kings and kids, the powerful and the utterly powerless, the sharp and the dull, the tall and the short, People of all kinds receiving joy for all people through the Savior that's given, Jesus. Let's prepare our hearts for baptisms as we pray.